anniversaries and celebrated things that have happened here and God's faithfulness to us over the years. It's good. It's good, right? Do you have your Bible this morning? Acts chapter 9 is where I want you to go. We're going to take a break from our study of Galatians uh, for the sake of the 150th anniversary. First Baptist Church in Harrisburg is now 150 years old. Praise the Lord for that. And it struck me this week that for 150 years we have been doing essentially the same thing. Our purpose has been unchanged. The direction has remained consistent. Sure, some of the style has changed, some of the verbiage has changed, some of the tone has changed. Uh, Nate and I were joking uh, early this morning, some of the volume maybe has changed in this room. But essentially, we have been doing the same thing for 150 years. And Bailey rightly noted that really for 2,000 years, the church has been doing essentially the same thing. And so today, I want to encourage us to continue to do essentially the same thing for the next 150 years or for the next 2,000 years uh, until the Lord returns. Let us do the same thing. Sure, we're going to need to be flexible in our tone. We're going to continue to need to be flexible in our verbiage, in our style, in our flavor, but we must continue to be consistent in our purpose and our mission. In light of all this, on the 150th birthday of this church, we'll look at the purpose and mission of the church today, what we have been doing and what we will continue to do in the future. Now, for the past several years here at First Baptist Church, we've used one particular set of verbiage to describe this, though admittedly we haven't talked about it nearly as much as we should have. We've discussed the process through which disciples are made and the process uh, in, through which we want to be moving all the time. We've used essentially four words to describe this. Encounter, embed, equip, and engage. Now, admittedly, that second one was a stretch. We were looking for another E to make it fit, but it works, and I'll tell you why when we get to that point. Today, we're going to look at these four steps in the process here at First Baptist, and through it all, we're going to seek to determine where we are in the process. Each of us as individuals, where are we in this process and how can we be moving forward to greater maturity, greater service in the kingdom of God? I have planned to do this uh, today by looking at two examples for each section from scripture, one from the life of the apostle Paul, since we've been talking about him so much in Galatians chapter one and chapter two, and then trying to find another example that is, well, just not Paul. Uh, but for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to spend as much time on the not Paul examples. So we'll look primarily at how Paul does these four things in his life, mostly from Acts chapter 9. So let's pray together before we get started this morning. God, we are uh, profoundly grateful to be gathered in this place today. Thankful that it's not just us here together, but you are with us. You are among us. You are here. And that makes all the difference in the world. And we thank you for the way uh, you have shown us your face already as we've gathered in small groups to study your word, as, we, as we've been singing your praises. And we pray that you'll continue to show us yourself through your word now, that you would reveal yourself to us and that we would see you rightly and we would see ourselves properly in light of who you are and that we would have a right response to all this, a response of repentance and faith, a response of obedience to you, a response of gratitude and worship. God, we pray that you will do all of these things in our hearts for your own glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the plan today, encounter, embed, equip, engage. Let's talk first about encounter. Encounter is the first step in this process, the entry point, if you will. 
We want First Baptist Church in Harrisburg to be a place where people encounter God, where people encounter God, and where God encounters people. We want to see that happening uh, as we gather together in this place. And one uh, particular example of this in the scriptures is Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, I'm not going to read all of this to you, but you know that Isaiah has an encounter with God. He sees God high and lifted up, seated on his throne. The train of his robe is filling the temple. And in the light of God's glory and his holiness, Isaiah sees himself as a sinful man. He says, oh, woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And as he admits his sinfulness, God provides cleansing for him. Remember, he sends one of those uh, majestic creatures down to take a live coal from the altar. And he touches his lips with it and he cleanses him, right? And then God says, whom shall I send and who, who will go for us? And what's Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. Isaiah has an encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6. And he is forever changed. By that encounter with God. He saw the Lord in his glory. He saw himself in his sin. He received a cleansing and he was sent on a mission. And we want that to happen as we gather together. We want to have an encounter with God. Now, we're going to talk about it from the life of the Apostle Paul. He has a similar experience on the Damascus Road. You can read about it in several places in Scripture, which is interesting in itself. But we want to look at it today in Acts chapter 9. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19 we'll see Paul's encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was, as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. When the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus whose name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Notice, same things as in the story with Isaiah. He saw Jesus in his glory, and his life was forever changed. 
Now, before we move on to talk about the next step in this process, I feel like I need to point out that an encounter with the Almighty is not always a pleasant thing. When our sin meets His righteousness, it can be painful. Isaiah said, woe is me, I am ruined. Paul was cast down to the ground and lost his sight for three days. But hear this clearly. This pain is not without purpose. For it is only when we recognize our brokenness that we find help. When we cry for help, he answers with his mercy and grace. So don't think that we will just come in this room or gather together in some other place and have an encounter with God and everyone will feel some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling inside. No, it may wreck you. It may ruin you. He may strike you down so that he can bring you to life. Let's recognize that. So here at First Baptist Church, we want to provide both believers and unbelievers with the opportunity to encounter the Almighty God and be forever changed. So we encourage you to be here, to have your eyes open, to be looking around, to listen, to respond. This is the entry point. This is the front door, if you will. And we must consistently be challenging people who have come in through the front door to be moving along in the process, to embed with a small group. So that's encounter. Now let's talk about embed. Once individuals have encountered God and their lives have been changed, we want to see them embed in a small group. That word embed is defined as to set or fix firmly in a surrounding mass. It's what we want to see happen. We want people to have an encounter with God, have their lives changed, and then set themselves, fix themselves firmly in a surrounding mass. We need this. We believe that this embedding best takes place in small group Bible study. Sometimes we call it Sunday school. Here, in small group Bible study, individuals will connect with others and they will find encouragement, accountability, fellowship, and instruction. It's clear from Scripture that the Christian life was never intended to be lived out alone. Discipleship happens best in community and it does not happen in isolation. So we must recognize in the midst of all this that community means more than just being in the same room at the same time. Fellowship means more than just gathering together around a table. We must be willing to open our lives to one another and have our lives open to others. Paul experienced this. We'll talk about that in a minute as he engages in community with Ananias and other believers there in Damascus. But we also see this in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, you can read about what happens after that great day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down, fills up Peter and the other apostles, and they proclaim the gospel message to crowds. People from every tribe and tongue are gathered in Jerusalem that day. And they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those folks. And many believe, right? And the first thing that happens when these folks believe and are baptized is they get together. They get together and they share their lives with one another. In fact, listen to this from Acts chapter 2. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's not just to have your your life changed, your life changed by an encounter with him, but it's to be gathered together with others who have had their lives changed. 
their lives were changed, and then they gathered together, and they shared their lives with one another. And that's what we want to see happen here at First Baptist Church. We want to see lives changed through an encounter with God. And then we want to see those people embed in a small group, a small group community that, that encounters God together on a regular basis and provides biblical community, a sense of belonging, a sense of accountability, and some encouragement. Let's look at it in the life of Paul in Acts chapter 9. You're already there. Pick it back up in, in verse 19 and notice that right after his encounter with Jesus, God connects him with another believer. It seems to be the very first thing that happens after Paul encounters Jesus is God says to Ananias, you need to connect with that guy. He can't just be out there on his own. He needs community. And so Ananias, though reluctant at first, goes and meets with Paul. And so we pick it up in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and they were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but... Their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. I want you to see that right off the bat, after Paul has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, he is quickly connected with other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who in Galatians chapter 1 uh, asserts his independence from the apostles in Jerusalem for a purpose, and we've been talking about that. He also recognizes his need for community, recognizes that isolation will kill the Christian, and we were meant to live in community. So, here at First Baptist Church, we want to connect our lives with one another. We want to develop a true sense of community, a true sense of relationship, to begin to grow as a disciple of Christ through the study of his word together. So we encourage you, all of you, to invest in other people's lives and invite other people to invest in yours. This will take openness, honesty, vulnerability. It's more than just having a support group. It's more like being a family. And that's what God has called us to, to be a family together. So I'm going to encourage you, put down some roots, connect with some people, not just so that you can enjoy this warm and happy environment, but so that you can prepare for service in his kingdom. So you see how this is moving? We have an encounter with God where our lives are changed. Then we embed with his people. We fix ourselves firmly in a surrounding mass for the purpose of being equipped for service. So let's talk about that third step of equipping. Once a person has encountered God and embedded with his people, they'll begin to mature in their faith. That's a natural product. That's a natural byproduct of all of this. They will begin to mature in their faith. And part of maturity in the faith is a desire to serve. And in order to serve well, you must be trained for service. And this is what the equip stage is all about. Training disciples of Christ for particular service in his kingdom. Now we saw this a few weeks ago outside of Paul's life in Acts chapter 18 in Sunday school. In Acts chapter 18, a few weeks ago in Sunday school, we talked about that, that guy Apollos. Remember this? 
he was out there and he was eloquent and he was well-spoken and, and every, everybody seemed to like him, but he, he wasn't real full in his understanding of the gospel, right? And you remember there were these two, Ananias, uh, no, Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla, they were listening to this guy preach and they said, ooh, there's some things wrong here. And so what did they do? They took him aside and they privately instructed him more accurately in the ways of God. In other words, they equipped him so that he could serve well. They took him aside and they taught him, they instructed him, they, they filled out the missing places in his theology, and then he was sent on his mission. He was sent away to do work. And so that is one example in Acts chapter 18 of this kind of equipping. We see it in Paul's life, in particular with his relationship with young Timothy. We see this equipping stage as Paul takes young Timothy under his wing and teaches him all about life and ministry. In fact, look at their introduction in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, you'll have to turn a few pages. I find it really interesting that as Luke tells the story of the things that are happening in Paul's life, he just gives this very brief introduction to Paul's relationship with Timothy. Like, this is a huge relationship in his life and, and, and has huge implications for the future church. And yet we just have this very quick introduction to him. But we know that for the rest of his life, Paul had this young man under his wing and was teaching him, equipping him for the service that God had called him to. So look at it in Acts chapter 16. We'll read verses 1 to 5. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. We know about those places, right? And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was Greek. All of that is interesting background. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3 says, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Paul here is introduced to this young man and he says, I want him, I want him to go with me. I want him to travel with us. And he takes him under his wing and he teaches him and instructs him and equips him for all of the ministry that he would do. And he puts him to work. He, he doesn't just give him all of this classroom theory about ministry. He puts him to work in ministry. He gives him responsibilities and expectations and puts him to work. And we want to be doing the same thing here at First Baptist Church, to be providing maturing believers with the tools they need to faithfully fulfill the work that God has called them to do. So we encourage you to seek some training. And we offer that training in a bazillion different ways, particularly in Life University, New Life University, these classes that meet on Sunday nights after worship, six-week uh, practical classes that will equip you to do the work of service that God has called you to do. Seek some training. Often, that training will be very specific with an eye toward a particular ministry. In fact, in the next round that will start, I think, three weeks from today, Miss Mary McSparron is going to teach a class that is very narrowly focused. She is going to teach a class on a book that she wrote about the importance of hospitality and hosting and connecting all that with biblical stories and recipes and how-tos in the kitchen. I, I cannot imagine how this works, but it works, right? It's not in my wheelhouse, but it might be in some of yours. And so that's a very specific 
bit of training that will be done so that you can open your home and invite people in and host them and share the gospel with them in the process. So sometimes it'll be narrowly focused like that, and other times it will be very general, preparing a believer for faithful, fruitful, everyday ministry in life. That's what we've been doing recently with hermeneutics. That's what Brad will do in, a, in, a, in the next round in evangelism. Um, this broad training that will equip you for everyday Christian living and ministry. But we need to be equipped for service. So my pastoral heart wants to tell you, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of the discipline that is required to be equipped. Don't be afraid of the hard work. Don't be afraid of the dedication. Don't be afraid of the extra reading. Don't be afraid of the hard conversations. Don't be afraid of the brick walls that you might run into. Rather, pursue those things gladly so that you can be useful in the kingdom of God, so that you can be functional as a part of his body. So we encounter God, and we have our lives changed by his grace. We embed with a small group. We connect our lives to one another, and we begin to grow and mature. And then we are equipped for service in the kingdom. And then the fourth step is we put it to, put it to action. We actually get to work, and we call this engage. This is the final step, but this final step really has no end in the process. It is about putting that training into action, and this action may come in a variety of forms. You may uh, serve as an usher or on the security team, and we need more of those folks, right? We need more of folks standing at the doors greeting folks, more folks watching, watching out for the welfare of the people gathered in this place. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll help out volunteering in child care or in committee service. I am infinitely thankful for people at First Baptist who have, who have experience and expertise in numbers, in finances, and accounting. Those folks and their willingness to serve on a finance committee, man, that is huge because that's not my wheelhouse. I am terrible with math and numbers. Words, those make sense to me. Numbers, not so much. So it may look like committee service. It may look like teaching or singing in the choir or preaching or mission trips or service projects or on and on and on. There are no shortage of opportunities to engage in the work that God is doing all around us, both locally and globally. This is the step where people move from being mere consumers of ministry to contributors to ministry. It's also the link back to the very beginning. Like, if, if we're talking about this as a cycle a little bit, we need people to travel this whole process, to have an encounter with God, to embed with his people, to be equipped for service, and to engage. And part of that engagement will be providing opportunities for other people to have an encounter with God. Part of your engagement will be leading groups uh, that, that connect lives with one another. Part of that engagement might be you teaching and equipping other people to serve. So this last step is really an infinite step that will enable and facilitate more people to move along in the process. And we want to see this happen. My pastor, when I was growing up, used to say, this is where the rubber hits the road. And I always thought he was super clever with that. And then I realized he ripped it off. That's like a good year. That's a good year thing. I didn't realize this till I was about 25 years old. I thought he had made that. I thought that was his phrase. And it turns out he ripped it off. But this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it all goes from being kind of theoretical and philosophical to where it goes, it becomes very practical. And we see this in all of the stories we've referenced earlier. Isaiah preached, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached till he died. He said, God said, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? 
And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And guess what? God didn't say, that's great, I'm thankful that you're willing, but I'll use someone else. God sends him and he preaches. We see it also with Apollos. Apollos is taken aside by Aquila and Priscilla. He's instructed more fully in the ways of God and then they send him off. They send him off to preach, and he really does preach. He preaches so convincingly that many people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he leads folks into the kingdom. Timothy led a life of faithful service to the church, a life of faithful shepherding and pastoring of God's church. And Paul, we know Paul took the gospel to the ends of the earth, and Paul ran hard and ran well all the way to the end of the race, all the way through the tape. These people didn't just have this encounter. They didn't just develop some community, and they didn't fill their minds up with training. They put it all into action, and that's what we want to do as well. We want to be a place where mature believers are put to work in the kingdom of God. Hear my pastoral heart in this. We need dependability here. When we're talking about putting people to work in the kingdom, we need people we can count on. And we need responsibility here. We need people who will make sure that the task gets completed. People whose hands we don't have to hold every step of the way. And let me just, I want to point out two people who have done this recently and have done it well. One is Susan Houghton, and she has warned me about doing this over this whole week. Susan Houghton, who has uh, been the tip of the spear for our uh, 150th anniversary celebration. And what I appreciate most about Susan Houghton in the midst of all this is she hasn't called me every day. She hasn't called me every day with little detailed questions and answers. Susan has taken the baton, and she has run with it, and she has run with it well to the point that there were things that I had totally forgotten about this weekend, and they happened because Susan is dependable and Susan is responsible, and we are thankful for folks like you. And the other guy I'll mention is Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson is a treasure to this church. And, and I, I don't want today become become a day about worshiping these people. I, I want you to see them as examples to follow. They are working through this process and serving well and leading others well. Joe Jackson was a point man on this whole project over here in the parlor. And it's the same thing. Uh, I, I sat down with Joe one day, and I shared the vision of the thing. And I said, this is what we want. This is how we want it to go. And he said, I'll get it done. And he got it done with the help of dozens and dozens of others, but he got it done. And you know what I love about Joe maybe most? He's not here today. He's not here today, not because he's at home on the couch, but because he's on his way to Arizona to serve people in Arizona, to preach the gospel there and to use his skills there. Folks that are dependable, folks that are accountable, and more than that, folks who are passionate. This was good for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Just go with me, Susan. You're killing me here. We want people who are dependable, people who are responsible, people who are passionate about what they're doing. This is the picture. You get it? Encounter, embed, equip, engage. And the church has been doing it for, for 150 years. They may have called it something else, but this is always what we've been about, moving people along in the process. So for application today, uh, there are... There's really one big question. Where are you in the process? Where are you in the process? And maybe in talking about this today, you would recognize you're not in the process at all. Remember we talked about this encounter as the entry point? 
kind of the door in, so to speak. Maybe you've never had an encounter with God where your life was radically changed. My prayer is, if that's the case, that today will be the day when you have an encounter with God and God has an encounter with you. Maybe today is the day he knocks you down on the road to Damascus. Maybe you came in here today for nostalgia's sake, period. Maybe you came in today, here today for history or just to humor us in our 150th celebration. Not caring a thing about God or what he would do in your life or through your life today. And maybe you weren't looking for him today, but he's looking for you today. And you have an encounter with him where your life is radically changed. Maybe you came in here for some other purpose today, but here's what I know. I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. That although you are a sinner and deserve eternal condemnation for your sin from an absolutely righteous and just God, even though that's what you deserve, he loves you. And he demonstrates that love in sending his son to die for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Jesus came lived among us, was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And he went to a cross that Bailey eloquently said he did not deserve. He did not deserve the cross. You and I, we deserve the cross. Jesus did not deserve the cross, but he went for us as our substitute. He took our sin upon himself as if it was his own, and he suffered the punishment that you and I deserve. He died for us, and they buried him. And on the third day, he rose again. And some of you were a little bit excited about that a while ago when we sing it, right? Bailey about lost it at that point. And I love it. I love it. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. And that's what we celebrate. And that victory of Jesus over sin and death and hell can be your victory. So I invite you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved today. Have an encounter with God today that changes your life forever and ever. Where are you in this process? Are you even in the process? Maybe that changes today. Or maybe you're one of those folks who has had an encounter with God and their life has been changed and regularly you gather with us in this place and you have an encounter with God. You praise Him, you sing to Him, you worship Him, you hear from Him, but you've got no desire to share your life with any other person around you. Like you like to come to worship and you sit maybe in the back and you sneak out during the uh, closing prayer and you don't want to connect with anyone. Hear me, I want to encourage you to move forward in that. There are great people here at First Baptist who would love to wrap their arms around you and walk with you as you walk with the Lord and help you in this walk. And they need you in a lot of ways. So if you're at Encounter, I'm encouraging to move on to Embed. And maybe some of you are, are embedded. You've got a great small group and you just love it and it's nice and warm and comfortable and cozy. But that's as far as you go. Like you like your little community and you like your little relationships, but when somebody talks to you about growing or moving out or, or doing something or serving in some way or sweating or thinking, you're like, no, no, I just want to get together and have coffee and donuts and I'm good there. If that's where you are, I want to encourage you to move a step further and say, train us, train me so that I can, I can serve in the kingdom of God. And maybe, you've, maybe you're this guy who is, has had an encounter and his life's been changed and he's plugged in with a small group and he's got all the training in the world. He is, he's, got, he's got tools galore, guns galore. I heard, a, I heard a preacher one time talk about this. He said, some of you guys are gun collectors. You've got guns of all sorts and kinds, but you never shoot them. Some of you are like that as Christians. You've got all the training in the world in evangelism and never share the gospel with somebody. Got all the training in the world in hospitality and never open up the doors of your home. All the training in the world 
all the equipment in the world, all the tools in the world, but no usefulness of those things. If that's where you are, let me encourage you today to move forward. Here's the overall point, wherever you are. You need to determine where that is. Wherever you are, I'm encouraging you today to move forward. This is intended to be a process that we move through as we're conformed to the image of Christ. And the more we are moving forward, the healthier we will be as a church. And God will empower all of this by his grace. Like He delights in seeing his people move and grow in maturity. And he empowers that by his grace through his spirit. And we're thankful for that. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we pray in these moments as as we begin our response to your word that you will help us to uh, examine ourselves well, rightly. That you would help us to see where we are in the process. And God, for those who who are outside, we pray that you'll go after them like you went after Paul, like you came after me, so many others in this room, that you will pursue them and you will save them by your grace for your glory. You'll teach them about their sin. you teach them about their, uh, about their sin, about your righteousness. Teach them about the cross. God, we pray that you give them faith to believe, repentance to turn, and that you'll change them forever. Start them on a journey. A journey of Christ-likeness, a journey of usefulness for your kingdom's sake. And we pray for the rest of us that you help us to see where we are in the process. Give us a a discontent with where we are right now and a desire to be moving forward, to be always growing, to be on a trajectory that is Christward. We wouldn't be content to just stay where we are. God, move us, move us ahead for the sake of your name, for the sake of your church, for the sake of the gospel. Move us by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. We're going to sing.